And so ultimately, as goes that team, so goes the rest of the organization. So vision, traction, and health is what I'm delivering, helping them to achieve. And ultimately, what we get is everybody in the organization on the same page, crystal clear with that vision. Whether it's 10 people or 200 or 300 people, all executing against that vision with discipline and accountability. You just get an entire organization all rowing in the same direction. This week on the podcast, we have Dave Feedner. He is an EOS implementer um, who really talks about his experience, not only walking into EOS, um, but all the concepts that go along with it, especially the visionary and integrator. So we will jump right in. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dave. We are so excited that you're here today with us um, to talk a little bit more about what you do, who you are, and how you help people. Do you want to give us a background of how you got involved in EOS and what led you to that point? Uh, Yeah, it's kind of a torturous story. Um, I will give you the the version that I think I can do in one minute. (laughs) Perfect. So yeah, for me, it's been since my youth, sort of a battle between entrepreneurialism and being a teacher. And it's kind of resolved itself into this uh, state of harmony where I'm a little bit of both. But the path to which I got there was really discovering at one point in time that what I really loved doing was building great companies. And that I, it became like my purpose. Um, I discovered it, frankly, by building a network of international companies and just along the way obsessing with how to help entrepreneurs and get leaders to work together. And so I found that the best way for me to do that was to actually let my teacher side take over and to try to be my very best as a teacher and a coach. There was this entrepreneurial journey that I took that began by convincing the family owners of a large U.S. business that I was working in to let me take them global. And that led to me launching and building about a dozen companies, primarily in Europe and Latin America, into this quarter billion dollar global organization. And um, along the way, hooking up with this great group of venture capital guys, and we bought the holding company from the family. And so then there was, you know, lots of activity in building out that business. We ultimately sold to a large PE firm And then I made this long sort of torturous transition out where I was finding entrepreneurs who needed help. And that's when I discovered the US. And I just said, wow, here it is. This is the solution that I've been looking for. Here's the thing that allows me to help build as many companies as possible by being a teacher. Yeah, absolutely. So what were some of those things when you were, convincing that company to go global and then working with the venture capitalism um, people that were like a eye-opening thing in terms of things that resulted you to bring you to EOS. Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Every single painful decision that was made along the way led to this point with EOS. So it was, uh, you know, probably the one that sticks out the most was just finding myself at one juncture 
with a leadership team made up of people from different countries. And not just people from different countries, but um, a group of entrepreneurs whose companies we had purchased and all of a sudden found themselves no longer in the position to do whatever they wanted to do, but actually to work as a team as part of my leadership team. So I had a British woman, a French man, a German man, and an Israeli man who were my leadership team, and they drove me nuts. Absolutely. <laughs> Different approaches um, to decision-making, different approaches to resolving conflict, and I would say that was probably learning how to manage them and just dealing with that particular situation was, was probably one of the biggest eye-openers for me. And I found that it exists in every leadership team. It's just that, that was an acute example of it. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because there's different cultures involved in there, different mindsets of what has happened in the past with their companies, different literally different everything. I'm sure that was a huge struggle to be able to just mush this team together and hope it works. What did you do to help manage them? What were some of the tactics that you used? Well, so the, I probably didn't consciously realize this at the time. It's one of these things that I've discovered. You learn most about what it was that you did once you remove yourself from that situation because it's, it's really 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 difficult to both understand the system and be part of the system at the same time but i kind of got through it and realized after the fact that what it came down to was um, not to stereotype cultures but there is there are some similarities to the way people within certain cultures approach um, conflict resolution and how they express themselves. So I saw myself dealing with this at the time and I only understood it after the fact that if I were to plot my British, French, German, and Israeli team on this graph where you would normally see British, French, um, German, Israeli folks, the British people tend to not express themselves as much and to avoid conflict. Whereas my German uh, leader was also not very expressive, but absolutely would go there <laughs> where conflict was involved. Yeah. My French leader was incredibly expressive and totally would go there in terms of conflict, almost to the point where the things that would come out of his mouth would seem like a personal attack. And then the Israeli um, leader was like the French leader times 10. So <laughs> this was the cauldron um, uh, sort of leadership dynamics that I learned some of my best lessons that I now apply in my EOS life. Yeah, absolutely. That that sounds like quite the cauldron of um, behaviors and ideas. And yeah, sounds messy. So I guess you said now that you're using this in your EOS life. Um, what are you doing to help your EOS clients? Um, what does that look like? Who are they? Um, that, those type of things. 
Yeah, so it's the same thing with every one of them. Uh, I am just like every one of my professional US colleagues. We teach exactly the same system. We are uniquely designed, I would say, to serve an entrepreneur and a leadership team that is looking for the same three things. And those things are vision. They need clarity on where they're going as an organization and how they're going to get there. Traction, they need discipline and accountability in the achievement of that vision. And the third and sometimes most important thing is they need health. They need to work together as a healthy, functional, cohesive team. And this is almost always the missing ingredient, particularly as they're growing and getting larger, because you end up with these very, very strong leaders who just do not work well as a team together. And so ultimately, as goes that team, so goes the rest of the organization. So vision, traction, and health is what I'm delivering, helping them to achieve. And ultimately what we get is everybody in the organization on the same page, crystal clear with that vision, whether it's 10 people or 200 or 300 people, all executing against that vision with discipline and accountability. You just get an entire organization all rowing in the same direction. Yeah, absolutely. So on average, how long does that take? I've heard about two years is an average. What do some of your companies experience? I've had a couple that have gone less than two years uh, that have actually, you know, it's a bunch of quick starts who learn very, very quickly. Um, but on general, in general, it's, yeah, they're mostly on average two years is what it takes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, so you mentioned the vision, the traction, and then the health of the organization. What does some of those health things look like? I'm sure that some of them are interpersonal um, relationship uh, styles and all of that, but what does that look like for you and your organizations that you work with? Um, so at the core of it, when it's really, really clicking, it is a vulnerability-based trust that exists within the team. It is when that group of individuals, whether it's four or five, or in some cases, six, are 100% comfortable with themselves and comfortable and willing and open and willing to be open and honest and vulnerable with their other teammates so that they can engage in productive conflict. That is, that is the ultimate example of a healthy, functional, cohesive team. Yeah. It manifests itself in many ways, but what it, it ultimately comes down to that vulnerability-based trust. And there's ways that we measure that along the journey. Um, we don't tend to start with trying to, shall we say, solve the problem of organizational health um, in any kind of a direct fashion, because normally what's missing at the beginning is accountability. They just simply do not have clarity on roles and responsibilities. So we're always starting with that. We call it traction first, vision second. And as you get accountability and you start getting clarity on vision, a lot of the issues that are preventing team health start to work themselves out. 
ultimately later on in the journey, we are specifically doing things to help them improve their team health using the Patrick Lencioni um, team health pyramid, which literally comes back to this point about vulnerability-based trust. Yeah. What does that pyramid look like? Uh, so if I can do this by memory, <laughs> uh, at the bottom of it, the pyramid is the vulnerability-based trust. So making sure that the team understands what that means and what behaviors need to exist in the team to be strong in vulnerability-based trust. When they're clear, the next stage, when you've got great vulnerability-based trust, you can go to the next stage, which is to engage in productive conflict. Productive conflict is just being comfortable stating your views and having those um, intellectual arguments without getting into, shall we say, personal attacks. When everybody is comfortable doing that, you can then take it to the next level, which is people are willing to, to uh, make commitments and to be held accountable and hold each other accountable as well. And with that level of accountability, I'm, gonna, I'm about to skip a, a layer of the pyramid, you ultimately are able to um, achieve great results as an organization. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it, on average, this pyramid of sorts, it, what are the learning curves to get to that next stage? What does that look like? Is it hard for people to get over a certain step? Um, obviously, everyone is a little bit different and everyone's learning is quite different. Um, but what what has that looked like for your clients? Uh, it's been interesting because I sometimes I see I only see my clients like once every three yeah. months and I'll see them for an entire day. So I sometimes almost forget a little bit about how they are or, or I shouldn't say I forget a little bit. There is evolution that occurs with that team during the three month period between when I last saw them and when I'm seeing them again. So when I've done the Lencioni pyramid, I have occasionally gone into that with a preconceived notion about where they are in terms of their strength as a, a healthy team. And I have been pleasantly surprised at how strong that they have actually become. So yeah. this is literally an assessment on a scale of one to 10 folks, assess yourself. This is what a dysfunctional team looks like. This is what a healthy team looks like. And you just kind of describe it, let them ass assess themselves based upon that. And I'm, I'm genuinely surprised at how good they feel that they are, which I shouldn't be, I guess, because what it means is EOS is working. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. What, what do they normally rate themselves on that one to 10 scale before they even get started with you? Uh, so we never do that. Um, okay. We never do the Lencioni pyramid until they're, you know, fairly on in the, uh, in the journey. So I, and I never go back and ask them, Hey, how would you have rated yourself? You know, well, actually we do. We do ask them, how would you have rated yourself 
previously. So they do make progress and they are able to assess the progress that they've made. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I think that that scale, especially, oftentimes people skew higher than what they actually are too. That's a common trend in statistics. Um, and so that, that would be really interesting to be completely open and honest and, um, but also see where you're going and how you're improving and how your team's improving. I think that's really valuable. Um, you mentioned some assessments that um, go along with accountability. What are some of those that you use? So assessments, um, no. We don't have assessments, we're just using the tools within EOS. And the key tool for accountability is something that we call the accountability chart, where we literally, at the beginning of our engagement with a client, take a big step back and just ask them to let go of the past, completely let go of the past, remove themselves from the seats that they're currently sitting in and just think about the organization. Just think about what the organization needs and just think the next six to 12 months. And we go through an exercise where we draft an accountability chart for the organization on that basis. And it's very difficult for them to do because normally what happens is you've got an organization that's sort of evolved <laughs> And it's usually evolved based upon compromises. So people are kind of sitting in seats with roles that might have been carved out for them based upon their skills rather than what the organization needed. So yeah. that accountability chart is just, it's, it's the highest order, earliest magnitude of just flushing out dysfunction in an organization. And uh, that is the start. Once you do that, um, you, you start to get them thinking in a completely different way. And frankly, what happens also is people start to determine whether that organization is an organization that they want to be a part of. I think in we individuals who have, you know, had the longer you have been in organizations and, and working as a career person, um, out there in the workplace, there is a tendency to be trained to be comfortable with ambiguity. And the moment you go into this process where you, you, you start implementing EOS, the ambiguity is getting flushed out. And that's very uncomfortable for people. So they will self-select um, and leave the organization in many cases and go find another place where they're more, shall we say, uniquely wired to work rather than this organization that is finding its path on a you know, basis of, of accountability. So the, I'm not sure if that answered your question, but literally the accountability uh, chart is the tool that we use to start creating that. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find that people are really surprised by what else is going on in their organization that they probably didn't even realize was happening or um, it's not the path that they wanted to go on and now they're seeing it? What, what has that looked like? Yeah, so this is something that, something that I do, not with my clients, but something that I do when I'm meeting with leaders in general. 
I will often ask them the question, you're in an organization and you're leading a team of some kind. So maybe you're the finance leader or the operations leader, whatever. Where does your loyalty lie? Are you more loyal to the team that you're leading, meaning that group of people in many cases that you've built that represents your team, or are you more loyal to your colleagues, meaning the team that you're on? So the answer to that is overwhelmingly, something like 75% say, oh, of course it's to my team, it's the people that, are, that I'm representing. And that is the thing that ends up surprising the hell out of leaders when they start the EOS process because it seems like they've been wired to think that way. Yeah. When you are on the leadership team, uh, you are sitting in a seat as a, as a leader of the organization, which means, you know what? You're not there to represent the finance team. You yeah. are there to contribute in the greater good of this organization. And individuals who cannot get past that idea generally are individuals who decide they want to go someplace else. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting way of describing it and even asking that question. And I would even be shocked by that a little bit um, in terms of who are you actually doing it for and what is your commitment and all of that. It's, that's a really great question for sure. <laughs> for sure. Well, I think the one, it, I do believe that people have been educated to think this way. Yeah. And the bigger the organization that you belong to, it's kind of ingrained to think that way because to a certain extent, people who are, you know, they're on a career path, they're thinking about themselves. They're not always thinking about how they plug into the greater good of the organization. And what, what they don't realize is their building of their team and that loyalty that they, that they have to their team is actually a two-way street. They want those people to be loyal to them as well. So what they yeah. don't realize is actually this thinking is very egocentric. <laughs> yeah. And you have to be able to let go of your own ego to build a great organization and, and work towards the greater good. So your highest order of loyalty is actually to that team that you belong to. It is to your fellow leaders because you're working to create a great organization and that's how you serve the greater good. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find that some people, when they realize this, they're like, oh yeah, I'll do that. And then three to six months later, they're like, this isn't for me. Like, what is that? How have you dealt with that, I guess? Yeah, so I, the good news is I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> My that job as an EOS implementer is simply to help the team smoke their issues out. Yeah. Ultimately, they are the ones who have to make the decisions. Once the issue is out in the open, there it is. We've clarified that this issue exists. Yeah. Now, team, what are you going to do about it? So IDS is the tool that we use, that we teach to help them solve their problems. And it's just based upon the understanding and the learning and the observation that left to their own devices, teams and leaders will discuss the hell out of things without ever resolving them. 
Mm -hmm. Or in many cases, what they will do is they will take the, the quickest, fastest solution that they see available to them, which ends up just solving the symptom. And lo and behold, sometime later, that problem pops up again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. And, and in many cases, they just kind of fall into this pattern of being, you know, used to it. Well, this is just the way things are. Yeah. So what we do is we're attacking the very root cause and we're helping them solve their problems at the root. For some people, that's like transformative and they're like, yeah, that actually feels right. And yeah. off they go and they're, they're embracing this much more powerful structured way of operating. Other individuals have a hard time doing that. It's just too, shall we say, they're just too wired to not operate in that way. And ultimately, they will self-select. In most cases, self-select. And I've had that happen with my leadership teams where literally we're about to go into a quarterly session and you know we're all set for a day-long session of facilitating and getting our issues out. And one of the leaders the day before will just say, I'm resigning. <laughs> you know, they've just reached the point where they've decided this isn't for them. And that's always um, sort of a, a very interesting transition for that leadership team. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask about that. What do they do if it's, I mean, they've obviously got to make some short-term quick decisions on what that looks like. What has that looked like for some of your clients? Every leadership team, I have to think now, um, almost every one of them has been a case where the leaders that were not going to be a fit self-selected and resigned. Mm -hmm. I can't think off the top of my head. Yeah, there might have been a couple where the integrator or the visionary took the step of actually letting the person go. But in most cases, the system works well enough that the individual where it's clear where this organization is going, the level of accountability that's going to exist is not for them and they opt out and they leave and they go find another organization. So one of the things that, I, that has been interesting about that when it happens, often in the early stages of an EOS implementation, Yes, sort of accumulate a whole bunch of people issues. And those people issues can go deep down in the organization. We might say, you know, we've got 12 right people, right seat issues. And they struggle with solving them at the mm -hmm. beginning. And so we'll go into a session and off we go. So-and-so is an issue. They were an issue last time and they were an issue the time before, but nobody wants to deal with whoever that individual is because in many cases, although they're driving them nuts because their behaviors don't fit the culture of the organization, they tend to be doing a job that nobody else wants to do. So when yeah. you let that person go, all that work is going to cascade down onto other people. Yeah. When a leader resigns on short notice and nobody sees it coming, what happens is they then have to grapple with something they didn't expect. And then all of a sudden they find, you know what? The sky didn't fall. 
Yeah. <laughs> the organization's still running. It wasn't a catastrophe. If we can lose one of our leaders and still survive, we sure as heck can deal with these 12 right people, right seat issues. All of a sudden they get the courage and then they're able to start executing on that. Yeah, that's awesome that companies are able to work past that and not be strangled by someone leaving because they don't like the process or um, whatever it may be um, through self-selecting. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think the other thing, there is a tendency to think that we don't want to do harm, right? And there is this perception that letting a person go is doing harm. The reality is keeping them when they are not a fit for the organization is doing way more harm. You are harming them as well as the organization because there is a better place for them. And the yeah. sooner they can find that better place, the better off they are going to be. Absolutely. So you gotta kind of realize you're helping them as well by doing this. They might not take it that way initially, but yeah. it is for their own good as well that that separation occurs. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it and making people feel okay about the situation and the circumstances. Because you're right, people don't feel good about letting go of people. And even it's now during this, yeah. yeah. And I have been absolutely guilty of doing everything that I teach my team not to do. Yeah. My teams not to do. And the good news is I've learned the painful lessons along the way. Yeah. Well, like you said, once you get out of your sphere, it's much easier to see the issues and problems and solutions that you are able to provide your team. Um, but it's also a learning experience and people need to grow through um, what they experience, just like you did. So Indeed. yeah, absolutely. So Dave, if people want to find you or um, reach out to you, where are some good locations to do that? So the, there's my um, phone number, which is the easiest way to find me. <laughs> cool. 248-881-9103. That is the fastest, easiest way to find me is to just pick up the phone and call. Perfect. Um, the, the other way is to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, and then the, the other way is to just send me an email. And um, the other is my website. So, I mean, there's kind of in that hierarchical order of things, this is the way to find Dave. Um, I should say also there's the EOS Worldwide website because I am a member of a community of like-minded professional and certified EOS implementers. All they have to do is go to the EOS Worldwide website and there you go. There's me as well as the other 350 of my colleagues around the world. And if you are looking for an EOS implementer, you've got your choice of 350 great people, although you probably want somebody local. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dave, do you have any last parting words for our guests? Uh, I would say that if, they, if you are, um, if you're not, living the, if you're an entrepreneur and you're not achieving these five things, I'm gonna sort of highlight these five things. If you're not crushing these five things, you should talk to a professional EOS implementer. So these five things are actually originally 
um, articulated as the EOS life. So Don Tenney, Gina Wickman's partner, um, created them and they are the following things. They are doing work that you love, number one, doing that work with people that you love, that's number two. Number three is having a huge impact. Number four is being appropriately compensated and number five is having time to pursue other passions. So we refer to this as the EOS life, but the reality of it is that is the ideal entrepreneurial life as well. If you are an entrepreneur and you're not crushing those five things, you need to talk to a professional EOS implementer. Absolutely. Cool. Well, we will leave it there. And um, if anyone feels that way um, or not that way about their life currently, they should uh, reach out to Dave for sure. Cool. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being a part of today. This has been fun. Thank you, Kirsten. Loved it. Enjoyed it. It was great. This podcast is proudly produced by Waypoint. What is Waypoint? Well, if you want to coach your team and not manage them, then Waypoint is worth checking out. Head over to waypointhq.com to learn more or email me directly, mike at waypointhq.com, and I'll demo it for you myself. Thanks for listening.